welcome to the first session in our New Testament study of the book of James. Now, I believe the entire book of James can be summed up in three words, faith in action. The focus of the letter is the connection between belief and conduct. Just like the foundation of a building must be built upon to have any real usefulness, belief must also be built upon. And this letter shows us how and why it is so vital to build upon our foundation of faith. Now, I'm sure many of you have siblings. I have two younger brothers. Now, remember for a moment what it was like growing up with siblings, playing games together, doing chores, sharing secrets, eating together, wondering why mom and dad did all the crazy things they did. Now imagine if your sibling was Jesus. Most Bible scholars agree that the author of this letter is Jesus' half-brother, James. See Mark 6, 2 and 3. And I think it's telling that God would choose a letter from Jesus' brother to become part of the holy canon of Scripture. Because if anyone could find fault or flaw in Jesus' character, it would be James. He probably knew Jesus better than anyone. They grew up together. Yet in verse 1, he describes Jesus as Lord and Christ and describes himself as Jesus' servant. Now, it's not just because of blind loyalty to a big brother that he makes this claim, because there was a time when James didn't believe. John 7, 2-5 says, The Jewish festival of shelters was near, so Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave and go to Judea, so that your disciples can see the works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition, for not even his brothers believed in him. James struggled with Jesus' mission and ministry at first. Many of the Jews did. Yet he overcame his doubt and uncertainty and now proclaims him as Lord. So let's read James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and I'm reading from the CSB. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So the introduction to this letter is pretty simple. James doesn't go into any detail about who he is except to say that he's God's and Jesus' servant. This is perhaps because he's already well known by the recipients. James was one of the leaders of the early church, and he probably was the leader of the Jerusalem Council. He was held in high regard by the apostles and Paul. Acts 15, 12-19 says that when Paul and Barnabas described to the assembly all the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles, it was James who led the assembly not to require Gentiles to follow Mosaic law. See also Acts 12, 17 and 21, 18 and 19. Verse 1 tells us that this letter is written to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Scholars believe the 12 tribes refer to Jewish Christians. Scholars also suggest that these Jewish believers were scattered after the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. 
Acts 8 1 says that after Stephen's death, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and everyone except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Acts 11:19 says, Those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So these Jerusalem Christians have been forced to flee their homes because of persecution. And in verse 2, James tells them to consider it a great joy whenever you experience various trials. And notice he says when you experience trials and not if. I've heard it said that everyone is either in the midst of a trial, coming out of a trial, or about to face a trial. Trials and tribulations are an inevitable part of life. But for the Christian, they can be especially difficult. As I have said before, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we gain two enemies that we didn't have before, the world and the devil. James 4.4 says that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. 1 Peter 5.8 says your adversary the devil is prowling like a lion, looking for whom he can devour. So we need to be prepared. But just as we have gained enemies by becoming Christians, we have also gained a Savior who gives supernatural grace, strength, and joy in the midst of difficulty. So we should consider joy when difficulties come our way, because in verse 3 we know that the testing of our faith produces endurance. So there's a right way and a wrong way to respond to the trials of life. One way will produce something greater in you than what was there before. And the other way leads to fear, stress, anxiety, resentment, and bitterness. And if left unchecked, leads to weakness and rebellion. So what's the best way to face difficulty as a Christian? Be joyful. Now we might be thinking, that's impossible. How can I have joy in the midst of such affliction. But if God's word tells us to do it, then it's possible. Not in and of ourselves, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's possible. Now, the kind of joy we're talking about here is not based on emotion. The word literally means in this context, a state of rejoicing. Being joyful is a choice, a mental and spiritual state of being. And there's a reason why choosing joy is the best course of action for Christians. It allows us to focus on the reality of our situation and see God's hand in it. Focusing on joy helps us to realize that these trials are not meant to destroy us, but according to verse 3, to test us. Because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance, it says. God allows our faith to be tested through suffering. Not because God wants to determine if we're worthy and our faith measures up. We can never measure up to God's standard. That's why we need a Savior who sacrificed himself to cover all of our sins. The testing of our faith is not to prove to God how faithful we are. He already knows that. But to prove to ourselves how faithful God is to us and to show us how strong in Christ we really are. Remember when you were in school and had a really big test coming up? What did you do? Well, hopefully you studied. 
Now, I know some may have chosen to do other things, but at least we all know we should have studied. Well, James is telling us you're going to be tested, and here's how to study. Consider joy. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes to test you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. Now, it's important to note at this point that James is not calling for Christians to be sadists, deriving pleasure from pain, or ignoring or suppressing the pain that comes from suffering. But I believe he's saying that it's possible for the Christian to find reasons to rejoice even while suffering. Warren Wiersbe says, Outlook can determine outcome. Attitude can determine action. We must pray to see our circumstances from God's perspective and that we can see the good that will come out of it. Verse 4 tells us that God can bring a complete, full, and mature life from trials. There was a Bible scholar who tells a story about being in a foreign country and seeing women weaving rugs on looms. A world-famous weaver told him, Don't judge the worker the worker by looking at the wrong side. Now one side revealed frayed, loose ends of yarn and a fuzzy, incomplete pattern. But looking at the other side revealed a beautiful, valuable work of art. We need to make sure that we're looking at our situation from the right side and not making judgments about God because we're looking from the wrong side. Our human perspective only sees the frayed, loose ends of chaotic disorder. But when we look from God's perspective, we see it's all a part of a good, loving, and beautiful plan that becomes the masterpiece that is your life. Wiersbe says, if we value comfort more than character, trials will upset us. If we value the physical over the spiritual, we will be unable to find joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. And verse 3 says, because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance. Literally, it means to know from experience. Spiritual endurance cannot be attained by reading a book or listening to a sermon, only through experience. Think about how you learn to swim. Did you learn to swim by reading the latest bestseller on swimming? Did you learn to swim by listening to speakers talk about swimming? Or did you actually have to get into the water and move your arms and legs? It took practice. Well, achieving the ability to rejoice while suffering can only be accomplished through experience and practice. And I believe James is telling us, don't lose sight of the good that comes from it endurance or steadfastness, the ability to not lose hope. Verse 4 says, Let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Mature here means perfect, finished. And complete from the Greek means whole, fully developed in every part. Can anything incomplete or unfinished fulfill its ultimate purpose in life? Endurance must have its full effect, coming to perfect conclusion. 
endurance is so important to the life of the believer because endurance or steadfastness helps keep our focus on God, keeps us connected to him. And scripture tells us about what a lack of endurance can produce. Abraham, instead of focusing on God in the midst of the trial of not having any children, ran ahead of God and married Hagar. And in Genesis 16, it brought sorrow to his house. When Moses in Exodus 2 saw his people being enslaved and doing forced labor, murdered an Egyptian who struck a Hebrew, and ended up spending the next 40 years in a foreign land with sheep. Now, we know God's plans for Abraham and Moses were not thwarted. God's plans never are. But I believe a lot of sadness and strife could have been avoided. And if we continue in the faith and let endurance have its full effect, then it will render advantages, like being mature, complete, not lacking anything. I don't know about you, but I don't want my life to lack anything. God doesn't want our lives to be lacking. And he knows that Christians cannot be truly mature and complete in their walk with God without trials. God knows humans learn best through trials rather than victories. How will we ever know what God can do in and through us if never given the opportunity to use what we've been given? I can remember the first time we took our kids to the amusement park. They were so excited to ride the roller coaster. As we got in line, my daughter started to get a little nervous, though, when she heard the roar of the coaster driving along the track and the screams coming from all the excited riders. She really wanted to ride, but it looked scary. We reminded her that mom and dad and brother would be there with her the whole time. So she didn't give up. She got on in spite of her trepidation, and she ended up loving it. She loves roller coasters to this day. So if life right now feels like a roller coaster for you, don't give up and surrender to fear and doubt. Find the joy in knowing that Jesus is with you the whole time, and he is working in you a masterpiece that is full and complete, lacking nothing. As we close, our challenge for the week is to answer the question, where does my joy come from? Are we only joyful when something good happens to us? Does our relationship with Jesus bring us joy or just a sense of duty? May the love of God so penetrate our souls that joy becomes our default position. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.